Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. I think we're, uh, I think we're good to go, you guys. Um, I mean, we say it always at the beginning of the podcast, uh, What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. Um, one of the hosts, my name is Kyle Dabro. Uh, so this is a little bit different than normal just because uh, typically we record usually Sunday night and then we go into a Monday upload, usually around 10 a.m. for the episode. But this one's going to be a little bit different just based off of something uh, that I went through last night. So uh, when I was setting up to record last night, just setting up an agenda uh, to really kind of dive into the NFL this past weekend, I had a kidney stone and it got to the point where, and I'm not really going to sugarcoat it, but I was, I was in pretty decent pain and it just basically kind of threw off essentially everything that I had planned for the agenda. And I spent pretty much, I don't know, maybe like an hour, hour and a half of just trying to manage that as best as I could. But I mean, as of right now, like I've got nothing to worry about. It seems like that issue's resolved itself. So, you know, unfortunately, yeah, I wasn't able to record last night, but I'm going to try to make it up here. And it's a little bit different just because now we'll actually be recording on YouTube live. So if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to watch the stream as we go along. And, you know, hopefully you guys tune in and uh, enjoy what we got planned for you guys. So, uh, for this episode, it's just going to be me. Kevin's actually up in Philly right now. He was actually at the Eagles-Cowboys game last night. So I imagine he walked away from that game pretty happy based on the fact that the the Eagles did win that game against the Cowboys. So it's just one of those things, you know, it's a great atmosphere to be a part of. And uh, to be there, seeing how well the Eagles have played so far this year, I imagine that he was pretty happy about the result um, with the Eagles bumping up to 6-0. and But uh, let's dive into this agenda. Uh, it's mostly going to be predicated around the NFL uh, for this episode. Uh, we will kind of mention college football a little bit, and then we'll kind of wrap it up uh, with the MLB playoffs, which have just been absolutely hectic, to say the least. Uh, we'll kind of get that towards the end of the episode. But uh, as far as the first game we're going to go over, uh, we are going to go over the Bills and the Chiefs game. To me, this was probably the matchup of the weekend. And when we look at the result, I mean, it came right down to the wire. But the Bills exact their revenge against the Kansas City Chiefs based off of the playoff game that they had last year in the divisional round. And the Bills win this game by the score of 24-20. to 20. Uh, They go on the road to Arrowhead Stadium and knock off the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this was a very competitive game. Uh, there's no other way to say it. I thought the game would be a little bit more high scoring just because I didn't have a lot of faith that either defense was really going to be able to contain the quarterbacks and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. But I will say I got to give credit where credit is due. I thought both defenses really kind of stepped up to the plate here and made their impact in just stalling out drives or you know forcing those teams uh, to punt. And when I look at how the game actually played itself out, Casey was actually in the driver's seat for most of this game. I will say that, you know, towards the end of the first half, um, the Bills connecting with Gabriel Davis with about 10 to 15 seconds left in the second quarter, that was absolutely huge. Um, if I remember correctly, going into halftime, the game was tied, and it was in large part due to that touchdown that Josh threw to Gabriel Davis. And I know if you're KC fans, you're probably just sick and tired of hearing Gabriel Davis's name. 
but the guy just continues to produce against KC. He's just he's able to find some sort of separation, and he's able to make the most of it. But not only that, I thought Stephon Diggs had one of the best games that he's had all year. He had 10 catches, almost 150 yards receiving, and had a touchdown to go on top of that. So, you know, when I look at both offenses with KC and Buffalo, you know, they were able to move down the field pretty effectively. But I will say that, you know, both defenses did step up. And like I said, this game I thought was going to be in the high 30s for both teams as far as what the scoring was going to be. Didn't happen here. So this was a lot closer of a contest with the score only being 24-20. But I got to say, Josh Allen and that offense, when they needed a drive to go and go ahead in the in that game in the fourth quarter, they were able to do it. And when I look at Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes had some time at the end of the game to lead the Chiefs on, on a game-winning drive. He bounces outside of the pocket, throws it across his body, and he ends up getting picked off. That essentially seals the game. You know, when when I look at Pat, you know, Pat's made those types of throws throughout his entire career. And he's been largely successful at doing that. But in this case, the Bills were ready for the challenge and they just bit on the route and they jumped it and got the interception, which essentially sealed the game. Now, when I look at the significance of this game with both teams, I mean, look, we're in week six. So we're about halfway through October. And I would say that both teams, respectively speaking, are still at the top of the AFC. And this game, you know, lived up to the expectations of being a really competitive battle. It's just, you know, when Kevin and I were discussing this game last week, we did pick the Bills to win this game. And we had it around a possession or so for the margin of victory for Buffalo. And that's how it kind of played out in this one. But I mean, as far as both teams are concerned, I'm not really worried about you know, one team, you know, really going on this huge upward trajectory and then another team going on the slide. You know, the Chiefs are going to be just fine. They're sitting on a 4-2 record. They're sitting at the top of the AFC West still just because when you look at the rest of the AFC West landscape, it's competitive, but you could tell that KC is still head and shoulders above the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Raiders. And in some cases, you know, if you're going to compare KC to the Raiders, for example, even though that their record doesn't indicate it. I will say that, you know, the Raiders are, are right there, but they just can't figure ways to beat KC. And when I look at the Chargers, I think the Chargers are probably the only team that could really kind of go toe-to-toe with KC in that division. But we'll kind of see how things transpire going later into the year. But as far as the Bills are concerned, I think the Bills are the best team in the NFL right now. I think they've earned it at this point. Outside of the one game where they dropped one in Miami. And when I look back to that game, he definitely played a factor because guys were just dropping like flies because, I mean, it was like 95 degrees that day. And on the field, it was around 105 degrees on the turf. So you could tell guys were just struggling in that game just to stay hydrated. And they were cramping up the entire game. But, you know, based off of the conditions that they're going to be moving into as you know, it essentially gets colder when we go into November and December, I think Buffalo is primed for a really good run here. I think when you look at Josh Allen, he's probably at the top of the MVP discussion right alongside Patrick Mahomes. I will say that I think Patrick probably did take a step back in the MVP leaderboard based off of this game, but not to the point where, you know, he shouldn't even be in the running anymore. He's going to be essentially in those top two, top three spots. But I think just basing the performance that we saw from Josh yesterday, I thought Josh was spectacular. He had over 300 yards passing, had three touchdowns. I mean, it's a phenomenal performance as far as I'm concerned. And moving forward, I think the Bills are in the driver's seat. I think the Bills are probably the best team in the league. I understand that the Eagles have a better record than them. But after what I saw from the Eagles last night, and we'll get into the Eagles game in a little bit later, I think the Bills have it right now. They have pretty much one of the most prolific offenses that you'll see in the NFL. Their defense has been playing up to snuff the last couple of weeks. And to be able to hold KC to only 20 points, you know, with Buffalo going on the road and doing that, that was impressive as far as I'm concerned. And if they could be able to maintain that moving forward for the next couple weeks, for the next couple months, you know, not only do I think that they're going to be the best team in the AFC, you know, they're probably going to be the best team in the NFL just because, you know, they were essentially our Super Bowl pick. 
And so far, you know, sitting at a 5-1 record, having the second best record in the NFL behind the Eagles, that's a good start for them. So uh, we'll keep our eye on both teams. Like I said, I think Casey's going to be fine. I think the Bills are in the driver's seat. So it's not like I could walk away from this game saying the Chiefs are going to take a major step back from this, this game. That is not the case here. You got Patrick Mahomes. You've got a defense that plays decent in, in spurts. I think they'll be just fine. But overall, I thought this was a great game. It lived up to the expectations. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of these teams end up running it back at some point in the playoffs, probably sometime in January. Could be in the divisional round, could be in the championship game. We'll see what happens. But it seems like to me, like both of these teams are probably on a collision course in the playoffs when we get to that period of time. But great game. And, you know, we'll just kind of leave that game for where it's at. So up next, we are going to dive into the Sunday night matchup that took place between the Eagles and the Cowboys last night. Now, this was the game that Kevin actually went to. So I know he's not here right now, but I imagine he was pretty happy walking away from that game, seeing what the Eagles were able to produce against Dallas. Uh, just to kind of give you guys the score on this game, it was a 26-17 to in favor of the Eagles. With the win, they bump up to a 6-0 record. And when I look back at this game, the Eagles were dominant in that first half. And the one thing that I've always liked about the Eagles is that they have a very balanced team here. It's very complimentary. And I focus on their off I'll focus on their offense first. You know, their offense with Jalen Hurts running the show, he seems to have a full command of this offense right now with that RPO. And they love running it with, with Jalen, with Miles Sanders in the backfield. And I thought by and large, when I look back to this game, I thought the Eagles were successful in running the RPO. Now, granted, I wouldn't say that Miles Sanders had his best day, but 18 carries, had over 70 yards rushing, had a touchdown. You know, as long as you're averaging about three to four yards per carry, you're moving the ball forward. And granted, I will say that Dallas's rush defense, you know, actually kind of lived up to the challenge a little bit here, but they still gave up over 150 yards on the ground. So, you know, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, but you know, with the Eagles and how they run the ball, they could put up 200 yards rushing very easily. So I thought the Eagles, you know, were able to run the ball effectively. And then I thought Jalen Hurts, as far as passing the ball, he did enough. And, you know, I know the stat line really doesn't reflect it, but didn't turn the ball over. And as far as I see it, you're not turning the ball over. You're not giving the other team opportunities to take advantage of that. That's a win as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, you got to take it where you could get it. And then on top of that, I thought their defense was outstanding in that first half. They they locked down that Cowboys offense with Cooper Rush leading the way. You could definitely tell that this was Cooper's first big test that he's really been a part of this season. And I thought by and large, he did struggle. You know, having three turnovers, he had two of them in the first half. It's, it's just not a good look. So and when I look back to Cooper and how he was passing the ball against the Eagles, you could tell the zip wasn't there. A lot of those balls weren't fluttering, but it just seemed like there was not a lot of velocity. There was not a lot of zip on those passes, and it left that Eagle secondary some opportunities to be able to bat some passes down and also bat them up, which led to some interceptions as well. So, you know, that first half performance from that Eagles defense, I thought it was fantastic. But this is a point that I got to focus on with Philly because it is a consistent theme here. I understand that they're 6-0. They have the best record in the NFL. But they keep having these stretches, especially in the second half, where they take their foot off the pedal. And that's exactly what we saw in the second half. It was primarily in the third quarter because, you know, the Cowboys definitely made a pretty big push in that third quarter. I thought they won that quarter quite convincingly. And then they kind of carried it on into the fourth quarter as well. But I will say, when it comes to the Eagles, they have to get this fixed. Because they cannot have these stretches where they essentially go cold on offense for essentially an entire quarter. That third quarter, their offense was just not able to move the ball. Now, granted, you could give credit to Dallas's defense for being able to step up to the occasion. And they kind of had to because at one point they were down 20 to nothing in the first half. And, you know, granted, going into halftime is 20 to three. But this Eagles offense, they have the requisite piece to put up 30 points on the board consistently but they just they have a tendency to slack off and take their foot off the pedal and you know as we move forward throughout the season 
some teams that they go up against, they're not going to be able to do that. Because when we get into some of these divisional games, these divisional games are going to be huge for Philly. And when it comes to playing the Giants, when it comes to playing the Cowboys, you could even throw the Commanders in there too. They know them best. And if they allow the Eagles to, well, I, sh I shouldn't say allow. I should say if they're able to take the opportunities that the Eagles are providing them based off the fact that the Eagles aren't mo moving the ball effectively, the Eagles may drop some games because of that. And I just look at their offense. And it's just their second half adjustments in some of these games. Some of them have been good, but some of them haven't. And I look back to this game against the Cowboys. I thought they could have made better second half adjustments. I really thought that, you know, going into halftime, I mean, the Eagles played as dominant as a first half as you can play. But then they only put up six points in the second half. You know, if you're the best team in the NFL, as far as record is concerned, you got to be better than that. And it got to a point where the Cowboys were in it. It was twenty to it was twenty to seventeen in the fourth quarter. You know, based off of what we saw, twenty to nothing, and going to twenty to seventeen, where the Cowboys scored seventeen unanswered points, that is a cause of concern for Philly. I understand that Philly could walk away from this game knowing that they won a two possession game here, but there's definitely some room for improvement here. I mean, I will say, probably the best thing that I could take away last night from Philly. Was their defense was able to force turnovers. They had three, like I said. And if they're able to do that consistently and bring in an effective pass rush, they're going to win football games because of that. Now, you know, moving forward, we're going to see what happens with the Cowboys. Are they going to stick with Cooper Rush? Are they going to bring Dak back into the fold when he returns from his thumb injury? I'm of the mindset that Cooper has served his purpose. And I mean, we had a TikTok video a couple of weeks ago talking about how there should be some sort of quarterback discussion just based off how Cooper was playing for the first couple of weeks. I've always been of the mindset that Cooper was going to lose his job once Dak fully recovered from his thumb injury and Dak would be the starting quarterback from here on out once he's able to essentially practice and get back into the fold. So I would like to think that Cooper's probably going to, he may be the starter for one more week we kind of have to see what happens with Dak because Dak was at least in practice last week, gripping footballs and passing uh, to some of the receivers. But we're going to have to see whether or not that, you know, the Cowboys coaching staff is going to be fully prepared to move forward with Dak just based off of how they feel with him throwing the football with his thumb injury. But I think that Cooper has done a solid job. Granted, he had a letdown game against the Eagles. This was by far his worst performance of the season so far. And until Dak gets back, I think he can manage the game effectively as long as he doesn't turn the ball over. And last night, he he wasn't able to do that. He turned the ball over uh, quite significantly, and I think that definitely played a part in the reason why the Cowboys lost this game. But overall, you know, when I look at the status of both teams right now, you know, Philly's sitting at a 6-0 record. They're probably the best team in the NFL as far as record is concerned. I still believe that the Bills are a better team, but the record speaks for itself. You can only play who you're going up against. They're solid right now. And when I look at the Cowboys, you know, the Cowboys, we're going to find out what this team is made of going into the second half of the year. Because as far as I see it, their defense has been playing really tremendous up until this point. And yeah, granted, they had a letdown game against Philly. I just think that the turnovers probably played a factor of that just because Philly was able to cash in on some points from those turnovers. But as far as I see it, I think the Cowboys, as long as their defense is playing solid, when they get Dak back into the fold, I think that they could be able to effectively compete against Philly. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to overstep Philly because I, I do think that Philly has the advantage over the Cowboys right now. But we just don't really know at this point. So, you know, it's one of those things we're just going to have to find out how this team is going to be able to bounce back once Dak gets back into the fold. And we don't know how this team is just going to respond with Dak in the fold. So hopefully their defense is able to effectively stay upright and play just tremendous football like they've been playing the first couple of weeks. But there could be a very good chance that, that knowing that their offense is going to get back into a rhythm, that they're going to get back into a groove, there could be a chance that that Dallas defense could take a step back just because they know that the offense is going to be putting up points. 
and instead of playing at 110%, they may only be playing at 95 or 90% just based off of the fact that they know that the offense is going to score. So that may take some pressure off of them. But you have to understand, you know, when you got an offense that that Dak is leading the way, you know, that defense still has to play fair ball here. So we'll see what happens with the Cowboys. But overall, I, I think both teams are probably going to be fine. So I'm not too worried about either team. The Eagles are fine. They're sitting at a 6-0 record. It's just whether or not what we're going to see from Dallas. If Dallas can be able to effectively play against pretty much the rest of their schedule from here on out with Dak back in the fold, I think they, they could be very competitive in the NFC East from this point forward. Now, transitioning to our next game, and that is going to be the Buccaneers and the Steelers. This was quite a game from yesterday, and this was probably one of the more shocking results from yesterday's slate. The Steelers at home basically upset the Tampa Bay Bucks by the score of 20 to 18. When I look back to this game, I really thought that the Bucs were going to win this game by probably two touchdowns. This wasn't even a game that Kevin and I considered discussing going into our agenda last week for the episode that we did because I think it was pretty much safe to assume that the Bucs would effectively handle the Steelers. Didn't happen here. The Steelers, I got to give them a lot of credit. Just a week ago, you know, prior to this game, they played the Bills and got absolutely smacked. They lost that game 38-3 against Buffalo. Josh Allen just torched that defense. And it just seemed as if, man, this is not the Steelers' year. You know, at that point, they were sitting at a 1-4 record. They had lost four straight games. The situation at quarterback was just a revolving door between Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky. It just didn't seem like anything was going right for the Steelers. And then they show up this week at home, and they beat Tampa and Tom. I just I couldn't really believe what I was actually watching from this game. It was really quite shocking. I just got to focus on Tampa here for a second. Tampa's offensive line continues to be the downfall of this team. And I understand that people can point to Tom Brady and him not playing effective football. I think that there is a case to be made there. And, you know, when you look at him statistically, you know, the numbers don't really reflect him playing that well this year. I think in large part, it's due to the fact that the offensive line is a dumpster fire. They can't protect him. And even though that the Bucs are still competitive in these games, the Bucs should effectively be scoring at least 10 to 15 more points per game here. You know, only scoring 18 points against the Steelers, and that Steelers defense is dealing with a bunch of injuries to begin with. This is a very poor performance as far as I'm concerned when it comes to the Bucs. When I look at Tampa, you know, this team should probably be sitting at a 5-1 record right now. But they're sitting at a 3-3 record. And I think it's in by and large due to what that offensive line is doing for the offense. They're just not doing their job. And that's what you saw right before halftime when Brady was effectively chewing out the offensive line. And I think it is well-deserved because Tom's getting hit. Granted, Tom may not be the most sacked quarterback in the league. That's probably reserved for Carson Wentz of the Commanders or maybe Matt Ryan for the Colts. But, you know, when you're getting effective pass rushes against you consistently, it's going to have an effect. And this is not an issue of Tom not having enough receivers or having enough targets. He's got plenty to work with here. But it's the offensive line. They are not winning the battle on the line of scrimmage. And it's having an effect because... You know, when you look back to what this team did last year from an offensive standpoint, they were fine. Tom had 40 touchdowns last year. You know, they were one of the highest scoring offenses in the league last year. And you go into this year and some of the injuries that they've had on their offensive line and some of the departures that they've had from their offensive line this past offseason, they are showing. This is not the team that we saw from last year that was one of the most high-flying offenses in the league. And I think this is just safe to say at this point. I think the Bucs are going to relatively struggle for the next couple weeks. I understand that, you know, I think that they'll still be the NFC South division champs when it's all said and done. But things are going to get a little bit interesting from here on out because I got to look to the Falcons in their own division. They're tied with the Bucs right now. Granted, the Bucs have the tie holder or they have the tiebreaker over the Falcons. But they got to be careful here because... If the Bucs continue to drop games, the Falcons could overstep them and take possession of first place in the NFC South. And 
as far as I see it with the Bucks, man, this is this is the takeaway from them. Their offensive line. It is really that simple. They're not able to run the ball effectively because you look to what Leonard Fournette did against the Steelers yesterday. He only had 63 yards on 21 carries. You can't get that done. There's just no other way to say it. you got to be get, able to win that line of scrimmage. And that offensive line is just not doing it. I, I think Tampa's defense has been playing phenomenal so far. Now, the reason why, you know, they didn't do their job yesterday was simply just because the offense is just putting it in a situation where their defense is on their heels by and large, just because the offense is not converting on third downs, extending drives. And even if they get into the red zone, they're not putting points on the board. You know, they're settling for field goals instead of touchdowns. And that is really the biggest takeaway from this team this year compared to last year. This team last year could cash in on red zone trips and score touchdowns instead of field goals primarily. Not this year. And when it comes to the Bucs, people could say, oh, Tom Brady's falling off, that he's slipping. I still don't see that. Not yet. I see him struggling because of the offensive line not doing their job and not hitting their assignments. So it is a team effort. And I know a lot of people just focus on the stars. They focus on the big names like at the quarterback position or the wide receiver position or even the tight end position. But to me, the heartbeat of the offense is the offensive line. If you do not have an offensive line to effectively protect your quarterback and open up run lanes for your running backs, you're not going to win football games. It doesn't even matter how good of a defense that you have on the other side of the football. You have to win at the line of scrimmage. That's where the battle is won. It is in the trenches, and that is where Tampa is losing the battle. And the only way that Tampa is going to be able to win games here on out is they have to put a bigger emphasis on winning those battles in the trenches consistently. And until they do that, they are going to struggle. There's no other way to say it, and they could be in real trouble if they don't get that squared away with because this team is a lot better than what they are. The record is 3-3, three and three, and really they should be 5-1. and one. This is one of those games where you look back, they lost this game by two points. Couldn't convert on a second uh, on a two-point conversion at the end of the game. And not only that, their defense couldn't stop Mitchell Trubisky in the offense when that Bucks defense needed a stop. So you could say it was a team failure here because this was a result they should not have had. The Steelers are not that good of a team. They're one of the worst teams in the AFC. You could even say that they're one of the worst teams in the NFL to a larger extent. And for Tampa to drop this game against the Steelers, as far as I see it, it's unacceptable. So they got to get it together because this team should not be sitting on a 3-3 three three record six weeks into the season. It really just is that simple. And, you know, hopefully, you know, Tom and the, the offense can kind of get it together. But I think it's going to be a struggle. So we'll lead that game for what it is. Um, if you're a Steelers fan, I bet you're, I bet you're probably pretty happy with that result. So, hey, look, I, I got to give credit to the Steelers. They did what they needed to do. And that was probably one of the biggest upsets of the weekend. So good on them. So with that said, we are going to transition to our final game of discussion as far as our featured matchups are concerned. And that is going to be the Ravens and the Giants game. This is a very competitive game. It was a great game if you were able to watch it. And the Giants improved to 5-1 on the season, winning by the score of 24-20 over the Ravens. This game, to me, it all came down to the fourth quarter. It really is as simple as that. Because when I looked at this game specifically, the Ravens had this one. The Ravens were up 20-10 going into the fourth quarter, and they give up 14 points to the Giants and end up just losing the game towards the end. This this was a game when I look back to the Ravens. They had a decent day offensively, but you could tell just these late game mistakes are just hurting them. They just can't close games here. And this is not the first time where they've had issues closing out games. I can remember back to a couple of weeks ago when the Ravens were playing the Dolphins. They were up 35 to 14 at one point. Lost that game 42 I believe to 38. They lost by four points. And I look back to this game. Granted, the Giants are a solid team here. You know, I'm not taking anything away from them. But being up 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter, you got to finish that game. You got to finish that game with a win. And, you know, when I look to that, that Giants offense, 
I, ne I don't necessarily think it's the most prolific offense. I think that Saquon Barkley is having a great year. He's having a great bounce back year just based off of the fact that he's been hurt for the last couple of years and he's been effective. But with Daniel Jones leading the way, you never know what you're going to get from Daniel Jones. You never really know if you're going to get somebody who's, you know, throwing 250 yards, putting up two, three touchdowns, or if he's only throwing for like 175 and he throws three picks. Well, this year so far, Daniel Jones has been solid and he hasn't been turning the ball over. And the Ravens did, I guess, a decent job containing him to only 173 yards passing. But, you know, in that fourth quarter, they allowed that Giants offense to get into certain positions and score touchdowns because of it. And not only that, you know, you tie in the fact that that Ravens offense had some turnovers in that fourth quarter specifically. This is the results that you're going to get. And, man, when I, when I look at the Ravens, you know, kind of similar to what I said about Tampa. I think that they're a better team than a 3-3 three and three record. You know, I know their the record shows that they're a 500 team, but I really do think that they could be a much better team here. They could be 5-1 and one right now. Um, had they not dropped this game, and had they not dropped the game against the Dolphins a couple of weeks ago. I think, you know, when it comes to the Ravens, they're largely dependent on Lamar Jackson to win them games. Their defense can be suspect. And in this one, their defense kind of showed that they could be suspect in the fourth quarter. But, man, I, I look back to what the offense did, especially in that fourth quarter, with the mistakes that they made. They put their defense on their heels. Well, they put their own defense on their heels just based off of the fact that they they had a much shorter field to defend against the Giants, and the Giants took advantage of it. You know, That's how they were able to essentially take control of the fourth quarter and win that quarter 14-7. to seven. So, man, you know, if you're the Ravens, you got to find a way to finish these games because they've relatively been struggling so far this year in that regard. But, man, let me take a minute to talk about the Giants here. I know that they are not the best-looking team offensively. They aren't. But, man, they find ways to win games. And it's been a while since I can say that about the Giants simply just because they've been a very mediocre team for the last couple of years. But I can't say that about this team. The Giants are playing superb football. Is it where they're blowing out teams by 30 points and they look like the best offense and have the best defense in the league? No. But they're doing enough to win them games. They're not turning the ball over, which is critical. I mean, that's critical for this team. They're moving the ball effectively. And when they need touchdowns, they actually cash in on them. So a lot of their games this year have been decided by one possessions. That's it. Some of these games have been one, two, three-point wins. This game in particular, this was a four-point win. And they've lived up in those games. And in the NFL, when it comes to these one-possession games, if you can win them, that's huge. Because, you know, losing a one-possession game, man, those hurt. Those hurt to watch in the film because all it takes is some place to, to effectively dictate the outcome of that game. And in this game in particular, the Giants defense was able to make some great plays to slow down and stop that Ravens defense, uh, Ravens offense when they needed to. And then they were able to cash in on those by scoring touchdowns. And also, I think moving forward when it comes to the Giants, the, the Giants are right alongside the Eagles in that NFC East. And I never really envisioned a scenario where I thought the Giants would be within a game of the top spot of the NFC East. But that's where they are. I thought that they would have been essentially towards the bottom end of the NFC East just because I thought the Cowboys and the Eagles were better teams than them. But I got to give it up to this defense. Their defense has largely been the reason why they're winning these football games. And if they're able to effectively hold opposing offenses to 15, 20 points per game, that's where they've largely been this year so far. They can continue to win football games as long as Daniel Jones and that offense are not turning the ball over. And so far, they haven't been doing that, which is great because at least, you know, even if they're not getting touchdowns per se, they can at least move the ball into field goal position and they can knock in field goals. And it's a lot better than turning the football over. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory as far as I see it. But, you know, when it comes to the Giants, can they effectively play at this level against the Eagles? That's what it comes down to from here on out. They're one game behind the Eagles. And I imagine when both of these teams, with the Eagles and the Giants, when they face up, 
it's going to be a very interesting battle because both the Eagles and the Giants have great defenses. And largely, that's been a reason to why they've been succeeding. The Eagles are a slightly better team because the Eagles have a better offense. You know, Really, I think the Eagles have probably one of the more well-rounded teams in the NFL. With the Giants, I can't say that. The Giants' offense is something where I still believe that they're weak. They're doing enough to win, but I got to see what happens when they go up against, you know, the top teams in the NFL. And they will get those opportunities, you know, especially against the Eagles. They will get another chance against the Cowboys. And that game will be different because Dak Prescott is going to be playing quarterback for Dallas. It won't be Cooper Rush this time. And the Giants already showed that they struggled against the Cowboys one time. So we'll see what happens when it comes to the Giants. But this was a huge win for them. It keeps them at pace in the NFC East. And we'll see what happens moving forward with the Giants. Hopefully they can be able to maintain this. But I'm still of the mindset of, I still think that this team is relatively weak offensively. But it's only one part of the team. And so far, they've been doing great as far as just the overall team successes. But, you know, if their defense can continue to play at this level, I think that they'll be fine. So, you know, good on the G-men getting the 5-1 and one on the season and really kind of providing one of the more surprising results I've seen in recent memory just because I didn't expect this team to be 5-1 and one so early. So it really is a testament of not only the play, the players, the personnel, but the coaches. You know, I remember Kevin was talking last week about Brian Dable being one of the early nominees for Coach of the Year, and I think he's exactly right. He's been phenomenal since going from Buffalo as their offensive coordinator last year to being the head coach for the Giants this year. And I think if they're able to effectively maintain this winning culture in New York, I think that he could definitely be a Coach of the Year candidate when it's all said and done. But it's all maintained on them winning football games. It's all encapsulated on them winning football games. So, you know, good for the G-men. Now, we're going to transition into some college football. Now, typically, we don't really dive into a lot of college football games, simply just because there's a lot of games to go over. And, you know, we focus on these big premier matchups. You know, we'll do like some small discussions about it. But this one cannot leave this game without a discussion. This Tennessee-Alabama game that we saw this past weekend, one of the best college football games I've seen in quite some time. Tennessee upsets the number three ranked Alabama Crimson Tide by the score of 52-49. to This game was just an absolute shootout. And, you know, it really was a back-and-forth game because at first, man, Tennessee got out, you know, they were off to a blazing start. 28-10 to at one point. But give credit where credit is due. Alabama fought their way back into this game. They were down three possessions at one point and ended up taking the lead in the fourth quarter. At one point, it was 49 to 42 Alabama, where you know both offenses could not be stopped. Their de- both defenses just did not have their day. You know, when you give up, what was it, 52 and 49? That's over 100 points co- collectively. You could tell that both defenses just weren't up to the part that day. But man, when I look back to what Tennessee did, it, I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. You know, being down 49 to 42, there's a very good chance that, look, when you, you give up a lead of 28 to 10 early on, and then you have a screw up where you have a fumble on an RPO option play, and Alabama picks it up and goes in for a scoop and score, there could be a point in time where they think that, like, Man, they're in our heads. And that could really set a team back, especially in the moment going into the fourth quarter. But Tennessee was able to bounce back to tie the game. And they're very fortunate that Alabama missed that field goal. There's a 50-yard field goal with about 20 to 25 seconds left. Because had Alabama not done that field goal, I don't think Tennessee wins this game. You know, Tennessee would have to march probably somewhere in between I would say 50 to 60 yards to be able to line up a field goal to, to tie the game in that case. But that didn't happen. Alabama missed a field goal. And Tennessee was able to march down the field. I literally get 40 yards in two plays within 20 seconds. 
and they were able to line up for a 45-yard field goal. And this guy made it by about the skin of his teeth because when I look back at this field goal kick, it was one of the ugliest kicks I've ever seen. That kick was not pretty. It was just an absolute knuckleball. And granted, it had enough, but I mean, it made it by about a yard because when it cleared it, I mean, I remember watching one of the videos when it cleared it, it was a yard. And I mean, it just, it just made it. And look, that's all you need. And, you know, for them to get that win against Alabama, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. It's, let me kind of put this into perspective for you guys. So I was at a wedding this past weekend and we were at the reception and Obviously, like when it comes to, you know, at a wedding, like there's priorities that come with a wedding. But when this game was in the fourth quarter and we were, you know, all in essentially like this big auditorium, we are all glued on this Alabama-Tennessee game. I mean, all of us. And when Tennessee got the win, got the upset win against Alabama, I just, the place went nuts. And it was just kind of funny just how that whole scenario played out because we were of the mindset that the way that Alabama was marching down the field, we really thought that Alabama was going to win the game. They were converting on some crucial third down conversions and it just seemed like Alabama was going to be able to pull it at the end of the game to be able to really kind of get that win right at the end. But with Tennessee marching down the field that quickly after Alabama missed that field goal, it was just phenomenal. And I have to say, you know, when it comes to Tennessee, I believe that Tennessee hopped up to the third spot in the rankings after that win. I just, man, I, I, I can't believe that Tennessee's sitting at a 6-0 record and they're sitting as the number three team in the country. But man, they provided one of the biggest wins I've seen in recent memory. And just to kind of put things into perspective here, I saw a stat after the game. Alabama gave up 52 points in that game. It's the largest amount of points that they've given up in over 100 years. The last time they gave up this amount of points was back in 1907. I mean, I don't even remember who they were playing against. I think it's, it was against a team that I think the university is defunct. I may be wrong on that, so don't, you know, don't quote me on that one. But, you know, when Tennessee puts up 52 points and essentially beats a record that is as old as it's older than a century. You know, that says something that, I mean, just that whole game, it was just absolutely wild. I mean, the fan response was just nuts with everybody storming the field. I think I heard that not only did they take the, the goalpost out of the stadium, there were parts of that goalpost that ended up in lakes outside of the university stadium, like at a Neyland stadium. Like it was just absolutely nuts. I've, it was just an absolutely wild atmosphere in Neyland Stadium that night. And, you know, the thing is, you know, even though the Tennessee won this game against Alabama, they still got a tricky stretch here. They got to play Kentucky, which is no pushover. Kentucky's still right. And then they got to play Georgia. And Georgia's the number one team in the country right now. So, you know, they could celebrate this win all they want. But these next two weeks for Tennessee, they are not going to be easy. And that Georgia game, you know, I mean, we're coming off of the heels of probably the game of the year in college football with this Tennessee and Alabama game. You know, could they replicate another one against Georgia? And Georgia, man, Georgia is really looking like a top dog right now. No pun intended. But if the, if Tennessee could be able to knock off Georgia, I mean, you're talking about a three-game stretch where you knock, you knock out the number three team, you knock out a ranked team with Kentucky, and then you knock out potentially the number one team on top of that. That's impressive. And then even if they do that, they still have to go up into the NFC, not the NFC. Oh my God, talk about NFL here. They go into the SEC championship. You know, they may have to play one of these high prolific teams again. So, you know, Tennessee, I mean, they, they're really in a gauntlet stretch here. And hopefully they could be able to do pretty well with it. But, man, it just... This is going to be a wild way of Tennessee here. I just, I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled that Tennessee won this game. And uh, 
know, hopefully they could be able to maintain their success moving forward because, it, I mean, it's just been absolutely phenomenal. But with that said, we are going to transition to our last segment. It's really just kind of a roundup point at, at this moment. Uh, just going to talk a little bit about the MLB playoffs a little bit. It's been absolutely wild this year. And really, like the best way that I could describe uh, the MLB playoffs this year, it has been a year of the underdog. And when I look at when I look at how these playoff games have transpired, I never would have envisioned a scenario where the Padres would have knocked off the best team in Major League Baseball in the Dodgers. The Dodgers won over 110 games this year and got knocked out by the Padres in the NLDS. Never would have saw that coming. Never. I think the Padres. I think they lost every season series to the Dodgers this past season. But it doesn't matter. They showed up in crunch time, and they were able to win three games against the Dodgers. And I just, I'm sitting back at this result in just utter disbelief. Just, I thought that the Dodgers could go all the way to the World Series this year. And for them to get knocked out in the Divisional Series, that is not a good look. That is definitely a major disappointment as far as I see it. I mean, when it comes to Houston, Houston's doing fine. They swept the Mariners, so Houston's one of the best teams in the AL this year, and they just continue to prove it. So, you know, it was it was cool to see Seattle uh, get back into the playoffs. It had been quite some time. It had been two decades since Seattle had been back in the playoffs. So, you know, good on them for making this far, but the Astros are just a better team, and they proved that. Uh, granted, there, there were some games where, it, I think the last game they ended up playing, I think they ended up playing it for six hours. Like it was really a competitive game, but Houston's just found a way to get on top over the Mariners here. And then when it comes to the Yankees, I know Cavs probably sweat bullets about this series. The Guardians are one, one win away from winning that series and advancing to the ALCS where they would play the Houston Astros. This series has just been wild as far as I've seen it. The Yankees probably should have won this series. When I look back to that game three, man, they blew it. There's no other way to say it. You know, they, they were up in that game. They had a very good chance. They were one strike away from winning that game. And they just couldn't close the deal. Granted, they did win game four. And they tied the series where the series is going to go back to New York for game five. But you could tell. Man, the Yankees, man, if they're going to win this series, it's going to be in a dogfight. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting that going into this series. I think a lot of people would have thought that the Yankees would have won this series maybe in four games. But give the Guardians credit. They've been playing very well so far. They've really been playing well under pressure. And there's no guarantee that the Yankees are going to win this game in game five. So we'll see what happens with that one. But you know, overall, I think you know, if Yankees lose this game, I, I mean, you know, you could start up the, the rumors about Aaron Judge potentially leaving because there's a very good chance that he may be on the way out. So we'll see what happens with that. And then, you know, when we look back to the Philly series between the Braves. Uh, Philly did what they needed to do. They, they won that series against the defending World Series champs in the Braves. Uh, and they will play the Padres in the... Uh, in the NLCS, I believe that game takes place on Tuesday. Um, I believe Tuesday night, if I remember correctly. And uh, it'll be a very interesting game. I don't think it was a matchup that a lot of people expected. But this is where we are. And, you know, we'll see how the series plays out. But, you know, really the big point of emphasis here is what's going to happen in that Yankees and Guardians game. Because... You know, if the Yankees win that game, they'll go to play the Houston Astros, where it'll be a rematch, I believe, of the 2017 ALCS that Kevin is so fond of. And if the Guardians win, it would probably be one of the more shocking upsets that we've seen in the MLB playoffs this year. I don't think it'll rival what the Padres did to the Dodgers, but still, that would be quite impressive for the Guardians. So that's pretty much it, you guys. Um I'm sorry about yesterday not being able to record. It's just had a kidney stone. What are you going to do? So that thing hurt like hell. So it just kind of threw off the rhythm off of usually how our uploads go. But, um, you know, just to kind of give you guys an update for the rest of the week. Um, you know, basketball is right around the corner. I believe the season does start this week. So 
uh, you will see an uptick in our NBA content. Uh, Kevin will be back in the fold. Um, he'll be back from Philly, I believe, either today or tomorrow. So uh, for our next episode, it will be Kevin and I back here uh, to sit down and record another episode. Um, pretty much just expect you know a constant stream of NFL content. NBA content is going to be coming into the fold. So, you know, definitely expect uh, a pretty good ramp up um, from here on out with just the diversification of, you know, our NBA content and our NFL content. And then we'll probably sprinkle in some college football stuff as well. So definitely stay tuned for what we got. Um, I got nothing more to add you guys. You know, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. If you did uh, continue to support the podcast as you have, whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms or on YouTube, We definitely appreciate you guys, and we will see you guys later this week. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast.